Today's scripture reading is from Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness, a man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun." Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Kyle, and thank you for your uh, faithful service with our, our students It's a joy to see the way in which you love them, as well as so many of our volunteers. And so, seniors, congratulations to you. Uh, It's a joy to celebrate with you. Um, My name is Reed uh, Kappel. I serve as one of the pastors here. If I don't know you, if I haven't had the chance to say hi to you, I'd love to meet you, uh, say hi, get to know you. But as we uh, continue in worship, as we turn to our scripture for uh, our time together, I want to pray as we continue in worship together. So let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus, and by the power of your Spirit to worship you, to to receive from you and to respond to you for all that you are, all that you have done, all that you have given us, and all that you have called us to. Lord, I thank you for the gift of each person gathered in this space. We ask, Lord, in this time that you would grant us the ability to see, to understand, to know, to hear your truth in your word. And so, Lord, would you allow your spirit, through the power of your word, to do its work within us, to to bring conviction where there is sin, to bring a comfort where there is shame. Would you bring truth where there are lies? Would you bring light where there is darkness? And Lord, would you, would you bring life where there is death? For you are the one who holds the power of life and death in your hands. And so we ask in this time, Lord, speak life to us, that we might hear you and know you. And so would the the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together in this time be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. It is in the name of Christ, our King, our only hope in life and death that we pray. Amen. Amen. Vanity of vanities, <laughs> utter futility, absolute meaninglessness, nothing but smoke. Congratulations, seniors. Life is a huge disappointment. Uh, that's, uh, I mean, like you probably felt some of that tension. You know, we're celebrating our seniors as they're graduating. They're about to move on to what is next. And now we turn to probably the most depressing book in the Bible, Ecclesiastes, pointing out how life is meaningless. And so maybe you felt that tension as I did as I was hearing that. But here, here's what's so interesting about this book. 
Uh, it, it is, while it is at face value, a very depressing book in many ways, it is also a very strangely hopeful book. But, but we may miss that hope if we, if we don't grasp what is going on in this book, what the Holy Spirit is trying to reveal to us in the structure and the nature of Ecclesiastes. And some of you, you might be wondering, like, if you were here with us last week, like, hey, where did that, like, happy, clappy guy with the tie go last week? Like, let's bring him back. Why are we talking about how life is meaningless? And, and I, if, you're, if you're new to Christ's community, you know, you probably just experienced one of my favorite liturgies of ours on a weekly basis, that after we hear the Word of God read together, we collectively say, thanks be to God. Regardless of what the word is that we hear and that we teach, we respond together, thanks be to God. But are we thankful for these words? Are we thankful for the the claim that life is meaningless, utter futility? What do we do with these words? Are we actually filled with gratitude after hearing words that cause us to want to just like go home and like cry ourselves uh, to sleep under our weighted blankets as we listen to sad emo music? Like what, like why are we genuinely thankful for these words if at face value all they are is depressing? And the answer, the answer should be yes. Like are we thankful for this word? Yes. And the reason why is because the haunting comfort of this book is found precisely in how brutally honest it is and how it speaks to this inner cry of the human soul that screams for meaning in a world that oftentimes feels rather meaningless. And Ecclesiastes, what's so interesting about Ecclesiastes, and we'll we'll get into it a little bit more in detail here, but what's so interesting about Ecclesiastes is that it not only speaks to our deep-seated suspicions that life kind of feels meaningless, like if we're really honest, like we sense that at times, maybe more often than we care to admit, but not only does it speak to that deep-seated suspicion, it actually brings about a strange and curious hope in showing us that life can't be all that there is, that this life can't be all that there is, that there's this sense of oughtness that that we're uh, compelled by this reality that there's something beyond the world in which we inhabit and observe with our empirical senses. And by honestly looking at and naming the hollowness of life that we feel oftentimes in pursuing various pleasures and and purposes in life, Ecclesiastes forces us to re-examine both the, the direction, the design, as well as the purpose and the pursuits of our lives. In this way, Ecclesiastes, the way it kind of functions in our life, it basically gives us, it kind of functions as that friend of ours, that that friend of yours who who says the the harsh and hard thing to you, you know, and and she does so not because she wants you to like feel shame or guilt, but because she wants you to have a better life. She, She says the hard thing to you because she knows you need to hear it, and if you don't, you won't make a major course correction in your life. She says it in order for you to consider your ways, to reorient your, your loves, and to make a serious change. And in many ways, that's what Ecclesiastes is. It's that good friend of ours that says the hard thing that nobody else will say to us. And my hope and prayer as we go through this painfully powerful book together, we would actually find this sense of hope baked within it. And so if, uh, that we're starting this new series today, we're calling it Life Up in Smoke. 
And, and that's an, an appropriate term. It's actually a way to, to refer to this repeated f- uh, refrain in the book that life is meaningless, or that life is filled with vanity, or life is filled with futility. And we're going to look at what that idea means, but at face value, again, Ecclesiastes seems to be telling us to just give up on our search for significance, on our search for meaning, purpose, value, and contentment in life, because there's none to be found. But if we look closely, and if we listen carefully to these ancient, timeless, and timely words, I believe we will find that the cynical voice of Ecclesiastes actually has a wise accent, and is speaking a word of wisdom to us, even in the very despairing words that appear to be hopeless. And the way Ecclesiastes does this is by telling us this, and this is the one idea I want us to kind of look at and unpack and and kind of camp out in together, that when you live under the sun, all of life is smoke. All you get is smoke. When you live under the sun, all you get is smoke. If the 70 years we have on this earth, give or take, you know, on average, if the 70 years we have on this earth is all that we have, then we are right to conclude that life is meaningless. We will we'll unpack this idea here in a bit, but, but if, we are, if we are to hear the wisdom behind these very despairing words, we, ha- we have to understand the structure, the nature, the purpose of this book and what's going on in Ecclesiastes because it feels as though it kind of like snuck past the, the holy editor of the Holy Spirit. Like how on earth did this book make its way into divine scripture? So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, whether paper or electronic. If you have a paper Bible and you're not sure where it is, just open your book right to the middle. And so you might be in the book of Psalms or Proverbs. If you're in Psalms, keep going to the right. If you're in Proverbs, keep going to the right one book and you'll find the book of Ecclesiastes. And so we're going to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And I want to reread for us verses 1 through 3 to give us the context, the framing of what's going on in this book. So Ecclesiastes chapter 1, starting in verses 1 through 3. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? So right away, there's no hiding kind of what this book is about. It's kind of pointing out the futility, the the hollowness, the, the meaninglessness of life. And this word, vanity, is used 38 times throughout this this book. And it's the translation, the English translation of the Hebrew word havel. And and havel, what it it literally means is smoke or vapor. That's kind of the picture. That's why we're using this this title for our series, Life Up in Smoke. And and smoke is the the proper metaphor uh, to describe life lived under the sun. And the idea here, it's, it's not to simply say that life is pointless, but rather that life is puzzling. It's hard to make sense of. And so, so to illustrate that, you're probably wondering what is behind this black curtain. Are you ready? Shazam! So this is, uh, this is, my, uh, this, this is very like, uh, anticlimactic. I want to illustrate this. Let's see if this gets to work. So the idea of smoke, and, and th- just so you know, this is not smoke. This is a non-toxic water-based vapor, okay? So just, you're fine. We've tested this at least two minutes. And so, no, you're, you're good. The, the idea of, of Havel, of smoke, of life being up in smoke, it's meant to communicate several things. It's not just that life is pointless, but it's that life is puzzling. That, that life has this sense of, it's hard, it's hard to make sense of. It seems to be 
random in the, in the direction in which it's going. It's going in this direction, but now it's going to slowly fill the room. And so it seems to have a randomness to it. But, but it also kind of dissipates after a while. You'll notice that as it fills the room, it will eventually dissipate. So it, it doesn't last very long. But there's also this sense in which smoke, it appears to be something solid that you could grasp, but, but if you try, try as you might, you can't contain it. You, you feel as though it has this ability to be held by you, but it doesn't last. Smoke, Havel, or life, as the author of Ecclesiastes is pointing out to us, is frantic. It's unpredictable. It's hard to know where life is going. It's fleeting. It doesn't last very long. Life is, we're, it's, it's, we're here, and then one minute, we're not. But also, life seems to be formless. It's hard to make sense of. It's hard to understand. We think we have a grasp on it, but then the moment we try to make sense of it, it falls apart. Okay, I think that's enough for now. It should, it should stop. It should stop. Okay, now, now the idea behind this, I, I kind of want this to linger. I, I want this metaphor to kind of fill our minds, that as this vapor continues to fill this room, I hope it's a reminder of what the author of Ecclesiastes, the preacher, is telling us, that life is frantic. It doesn't seem to have any purpose or direction. Life seems to be rather formless. I can't get my, my mind wrapped around it. And life is fleeting. It doesn't seem to last long. And who here among us hasn't felt something like this about life at some point? That life feels frantic, that life feels fleeting, that life feels formless. As much as we may want to avoid thinking about life in these terms, the preacher of Ecclesiastes is forcing us to look at and to admit that we, uh, what we often feel, which is that life is up in smoke. But rather than face this fact, rather than kind of honestly and wisely and humbly kind of contemplate and consider our ways... We would rather adopt an ignorance is bliss kind of mindset. We would rather distract ourselves with creature comforts and kind of live our lives as though there isn't a meaninglessness baked into life under the sun. Or even worse, we we delude ourselves into thinking that if we just keep going after the next thing, trying and striving for fill in the blank, that we'll be able to find meaning amidst the smoke. That if we just get one more raise or lose 10 more pounds or get a few more likes or update the kitchen one more time or land one more client, that then we will arrive and get to this point of contentment and satisfaction. But we know deep down, we've lived life long enough to know that we're just fooling ourselves, kidding ourselves. As much as we may try and convince ourselves to the contrary, we know the truth of what the preacher is telling us in verses 7 and 8. Look with me at verses 7 and 8. Very poetic language here, which is kind of by design to kind of speak to the imagination to help us see the futility of life lived under the sun. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness or a never-abidingness, a restlessness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Just as the rivers flow into the sea and the sea is never full, so it is with the human soul. Our longing for contentment and satisfaction in various things never is satisfied. We long for more and then the next thing comes along and it it satisfies for a, a short minute, 
but then we're on to the next thing. So, so again, so you're sitting here, you're like, I thought you said this was a hopeful book in some way. It is, it is. I'm, I'm going to get there. So the question is, how, how do we understand this book? What do we do with this seemingly despairing wisdom that life is fleeting, frantic, and formless? Are we supposed to take comfort in these words? Are we expected to be filled with joy and wisdom after hearing that life is vanity? Are we supposed to understand, how are we supposed to understand and live out this claim that when we live under the sun, all we get is smoke? And to answer that question, we have to understand something very important about the book of Ecclesiastes, and that is that there are two voices. There are two voices in this book, and we are introduced to them very briefly, the narrator and the preacher. The narrator kind of frames the opening and the closing of the book. The narrator introduces us to the preacher, who really is kind of reflecting on his life of pursuing uh, pleasure and pursuit of all kinds throughout his life. And so the narrator opens the book, introduces us to the preacher, and then provides some closing commentary at the end of the book to frame and help us understand the context of what the preacher is saying. And so the preacher, the preacher is basically kind of being brutally honest with his reflections and his learnings from his lifelong search for significance. And so in some ways, Ecclesiastes is written like a journal entry. It's this very honest journal entry that this man has recorded for us and is allowing us to listen to. As theologian Kathleen Farmer puts it, she says this, most of the material in Ecclesiastes fits into the category of journaling better than it conforms to our modern notions of a treatise or a reasoned argument on a single subject. Kohelet, which is the Hebrew word uh, that we translate as preacher, Kohelet seems to allow the audience to overhear his reflective meditations. Now, the preacher, as I mentioned, the preacher is the English translation of the Hebrew word Kohelet. And so I may use the word Kohelet to refer to the voice of Ecclesiastes, or I may say preacher or teacher. But, but Kohelet, basically, the, the, what that word means, it's someone who kind of has gathered a crowd and has something to say. That's why we, they use the word preacher. That, that kind of makes sense in some ways. But this person has the assumption that there is some word of wisdom to be given. But the question is, again, is how are we supposed to listen to Kohelet? Are we to take his words as advice that should be applied? Or should we see him as someone we should learn from, like, like, like from his misguided pursuits? Like, hey, don't do what Kohelet has done. How do we understand this man? Is he a father figure telling us how to live life and pointing us forward? Or is he this kind of jaded old man telling us to turn back? How do we understand the voice of Kohelet, the preacher, and what is he trying to get at? And there's a lot of debate about who Kohelet is. Some think it's uh, Solomon. Uh, There's not a lot of consensus around that. But regardless of, of who the preacher is, what's very important in order to understand this book and to gain wisdom from it is to see that there are two voices. The narrator who frames the book and who introduces us to the preacher. And the way, the way I tr- I've tried to understand this book is I, I would put it in this way. The preacher is speaking truth and wisdom based on a major conditional statement. The wisdom and truth of what the preacher is saying to us is based on this conditional statement. If this material world is all there is, then life is indeed meaningless. That, that's the conditional statement that Kohelet, the preacher, is assuming. If life under the sun is all there is, If this material world is all that exists, then life is meaningless. 
If you were with us last week for Easter, you might recognize a similar line of reasoning that the Apostle Paul used. Remember, he's like, look, if Christ has not been risen, if he is still in his grave, then our faith is in vain. He uses that same word of vanity. And so if Christ is still in the grave, then we are, we are still in our sins and our faith is in vain. That's a major conditional statement. If Christ has not been risen. In the same way, what, what Kohelet is saying, if this life under the sun is all that we have, it is utter meaninglessness. Or to put it another way, when you live under the sun, all you get is smoke. When you live as though this world is all there is, life is indeed vanity. And that brings us to this other phrase that is repeated, life under the sun. If you haven't read Ecclesiastes, and I encourage you to read through the book, familiarize yourself with it as we go through this book together, but 29 times uh, we find this phrase, life under the sun, in some shape or form, repeated throughout the book. It's not just a reference to creation. It's, it's a way of describing life. It's like, look, if all of life under the sun, if it's, ba- it's basically communicating that life under the sun is a world in which If there is a God, he doesn't care or he doesn't really matter to life. It's really kind of a functional atheistic way of thinking. Life under the sun is a life where there is no God or if there is a God, he doesn't care about us or he doesn't really matter to us. It's the notion that modern philosophers refer to as the imminent frame. We live in this imminent frame, this closed system where nothing transcendent, nothing supernatural exists The only thing that is true and the only thing that matters is matter itself. And so if we live as though there is nothing beyond this world and there's no powerful presence of God in this world, then yes, all of life is smoke. But is this wisdom or is it just whining? What is Kohelet saying to us? How is he trying to awaken in us a pursuit of the good life? What do we do with the preacher's melancholy meditations? And when, I was, when we were talking about this passage, which is very confusing, uh, Pastor Ben Lohr, one of our associate pastors, he gave us this really helpful illustration that I, that I want to share with you. Uh, what, he, what he said was, imagine life as one big maze. And, and we live inside of this maze, and we're all congregated at the center of this maze. And we're trying to figure out how to live life. And we're all in the center of this maze, and then all of a sudden... This, this figure emerges from one of the entrances or one of the openings that is around the center of this maze. And this figure emerges and comes to us and says that he has walked this maze countless times throughout his life. I have been up and down this maze. I have seen everything that this maze has to offer. And I am here to tell you there's no way out of the maze. There is no exit There is no possible chance of us getting out of this maze, and so you might as well give up now. Try as you might, you will not find your way out of this maze. He's basically saying that, like, if it's between us and the maze, my money is on the maze. That's kind of what he's saying, which is really what what Kohelet says in verse 4. A generation goes, a generation comes, but the earth remains forever which is rather ironic. God has created the the earth for humanity to enjoy, and yet it is humans that don't outlast the created order. And so on the one hand, the preacher is right. 
and telling us that there is no way we can find our way out of this maze. There's no way of solving our problems. There's no way of satiating our longings. There's no way of soothing our pains on our own. If this life is all that we have, then he is right. When you live under the sun, all you get is smoke. But on the other hand, he's wrong. On the other hand, he's wrong. Because life in the maze, life under the sun is not all there is. Life in the maze, life under the sun is not all there is. And that is precisely how we are to read this book if we are to gain wisdom from it. That Kohelet is telling us, look, if we assume the premise that this material world is all that exists, then absolutely life is meaningless. There is nothing new under the sun. But what if there is life beyond the sun? When we hear the preacher say, I have done and seen everything in this world and everything that has to offer, and it's all meaninglessness, the narrator wants us to conclude that there must be something beyond this world. As as Kohelet is telling us, I've tried everything, and there's no way to find pleasure, purpose in any of it. The narrator wants us to hear that and ask the question, then there must be something else. Or to put it in the words of the late, wise C.S. Lewis, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. That's the summation of how we are to understand Ecclesiastes. That if all we have to live for is this world, then yes, eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die. But if we sense this longing within us that cannot be satiated by things of this world, then it should point us to something beyond this world. Let, Let me illustrate it this way. Last year, I remember being in a panic trying to find my, my car keys. And I, I, I put my keys in the same spot pretty much like every single day. I could not find them. I'm in a panic. I cannot find them anywhere. I've searched the entire house. And I'm starting to get worried that like somebody has stolen my cars, you know, like somebody really wants to drive a red Corolla with a spoiler, you know, like they're really excited about that. Like I'm kind of freaking out that, that my keys are nowhere to be found. And I finally just conclude, like, they are, they are not in this house. They are not in this house. Do you want to know where my keys were? They were in the front door lock of my house. Has anybody done that? Is anybody willing to admit that? No, I'm the only fool. Okay, thank you, Daniel. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah so, so here's the thing. The moment I got to the lowest point, the moment I was in despair, my keys are nowhere to be found. They are absolutely lost. They are nowhere to be found in this house was precisely the moment I was closest to finding them. The moment I declared that my keys were nowhere to be found under the sun, inside my house, was the moment I was prepared to look outside of my house. And that's exactly what Kohelet is telling us. Yes, life under the sun is meaningless. If all we have is life under the sun, then all we get is smoke. But the moment we defeatingly declare that there's nothing new under the sun, no joy to be found, that is precisely when we are the closest to finding life beyond the sun. So sometimes the way that we start the path of wisdom, sometimes the way we begin the pursuit of the good life as God has designed it, is by trying all of the paths of folly and futility first. And some of us, that's how we learn. We've got to learn the hard way first. We're pretty dense. I'm one of those people. And, And the book of Ecclesiastes is uniquely helpful for some of us people who need to learn the hard way. But sometimes we need to pursue the paths of folly and futility before we come to the path of wisdom. The preacher is basically saying, I have scoured this entire world. 
and there is nothing this world has to offer. When you live under the sun, all you get is smoke. And the narrator basically says, yep, you are now ready to begin the path of wisdom. Now that you have understood that there is nothing under the sun to be gained to find purpose and meaning, you are now ready to pursue the path of wisdom. And so some of you are here and you're at that point. You, you can identify with the lived experience of Kohelet. Perhaps you have lived your life, you've achieved great accomplishments, you, you have great excess, you, you, you have accolades, you, you have enviable possessions, all of these things, like you, you have lived this life that, that other people want, and yet you are wondering why on earth satisfaction has not followed all of your success, all of your accomplishments, all of your acquiring. Why is satisfaction hauntingly missing? You hear these words of the preacher and you silently but sadly say amen in your heart. The words in verses 13 and 14. I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun and behold, all is smoke, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. So again, what do we do with this? How do we turn these despairing words into wise, hopeful path forward? How do we hear the accent of wisdom in the cynical voice of Kohelet, who is despairingly declaring to us that when you live under the sun, all you get is smoke? I believe, and this is what I want to close with, I I think we have three options, three ways for us to respond to what I believe is a strange and curious hope in the book of Ecclesiastes. The first option is this. We can fall into despair. That, that's the first one. Just like, just totally give into it. Like, yeah, like this is, this is it. Like, it's just nihilism. Nothing means anything. You just fully embrace the despair to take over you. You embrace the inevitable end of living without any real meaning in the world. We accept our fate that when you live under the sun, all you get is smoke. And so why not just live life and do the things that make you happy, even, you know, even knowing that they won't make you happy in the end? So we can, we can fall into despair. The second option is this. We can fake a smile. We can fake a smile. We, we, can, we can try to, re- like, I don't want to really fall into despair. That's not really fun, you know? So, so how about, you know, maybe, maybe Kohelet is lying to us. Maybe, maybe there is a way out of the maze. Maybe if I actually went out, I could find the actual path out of here. And so rather than listening to his wisdom of his learned experiences, You try to pursue and explore the maze on your own, hoping to find something new under the sun. And with every diminishing return, after every pursuit, every pleasure, every possession that you achieve, you keep convincing yourself that the next one will be better. And so you can fake a smile. So those are our first two options, fall into despair or fake a smile. Or or thirdly, we can face the smoke. We can face the smoke. And this is what I mean by that. We can actually look at the thing that Kohelet wants us to pay attention to. We can hear the the hidden wisdom in the preacher's words that are subtly inviting us to ask the question, is there something we are not seeing in the smoke? Is there something we are not seeing in the smoke? And we can accept the truth to the conditional statement that if we live under the sun, then all we get is smoke. But we should let it lead us to ask another question, is there life beyond the sun? Are my keys somewhere outside of my house? Because friends, the good news that is subtly whispered in the book of Ecclesiastes 
is that there is indeed life beyond the sun. That's what Ecclesiastes is pointing us to. If we read it in isolation through a, through a, um, a microscope, we will not see what this book is trying to awaken us to. Because you see, the reason why Ecclesiastes is a deeply hopeful book is because it is one act in the grand play of God's story of redemption and making all things new through Christ Jesus. Amen? This is the power and the beauty of reading the scriptures with the totality of the story in mind. When we understand the full scope and power of what sin does to us and how it unmakes us and unravels everything and robs the joy out of every good gift that God has given us, and when we understand the full scope of God's greater power to redeem and restore and reconcile what sin has broken, we are able to read Ecclesiastes with hope. We are able to face the smoke and say, there is life beyond the sun. Yes, life feels frantic. Life feels formless. Life feels fleeting. But that is only because we are living as though there is nothing beyond the sun. We know that the haunting feeling of insatiable longing in our pursuits under the sun actually points us to the one place we haven't looked, and that is beyond the sun. What the preacher knew not, and what the narrator only knew in part, is that there is life beyond the sun, and it is found, I know this is cheesy, in the Son of God, who has come and broken into the maze who has come to enter into our broken world to rescue us and point us to the fact that there is a life beyond the life and the world that we see and inhabit. The Son of God who came to not only point us to that life, but to offer fullness of life by giving his life for us. For in Christ we find that while we are lost and alone in the maze with no hope of getting out, Christ has broken into the maze from beyond the sun to show us a new way to live by being our living hope. Amen? This is where Easter's hope is connected to the book of Ecclesiastes. L- listen to what the, the Apostle Peter says in, in, in 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And then in verse 8, he says this, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so friends, how will you live your life? How will you handle the hollowness of life around us? How will you face the futility of life under the sun? My hope and prayer is that the Holy Spirit would awaken within all of us an ability to see the truth that the longing of our hearts is pulling us towards the living hope that is found in Christ Jesus, the one who endured the fullness of the futility of our sin in order that we might receive the fullness of the Father's forgiveness and freedom. When that becomes part of the story in which we read Ecclesiastes through, we find that this book, as despairing as it is, is a strange and hopeful book indeed. And so friends, life under the sun, if that is all we live for, then all we get is smoke. But the subtle whisper of hope in the book of Ecclesiastes, which turns into the saving shout of the Lord Jesus in the New Testament, tells us that there is life beyond the sun. The question is, where are we searching for it? And have we come to see that the one beyond the sun has broken in to bring us life, life to the full? Amen? Let's pray.
Father in heaven, we thank you for the way in which you mysteriously work within our lives. The way in which you actually, by, by our despair and disappointment, by, even by our crushed dreams, you awaken within us a realization that there is life beyond the sun. That if we are to live for our vain and simple pursuits and pleasures and possessions, that we will indeed find life to be meaningless. And so, Lord, I ask that you would, by your severe mercy and through the power of your Spirit, would you awaken in us the ways in which we have settled for life under the sun. And would you show us life beyond the sun that is found fully in the Son of Jesus, the Son of God, who is Christ our King. And so, Lord, would you show that to us Would we seek after you? May we find our pleasure and contentment in the one who has come to be with us. And would you do that, Lord, for our good and for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen.